Hello, and welcome everyone to the second edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season. My name is Adam Cole, and I'm joined by our other two beat writers, uh, Max Baker and Andy Kimball, and we're coming to you uh, from a pre-recorded podcast on Wednesday, September 23rd. Guys, how are we doing? Doing good. Football's back. <laughs> In a big way, right? In a big way. Yes, it will just mean more this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. No, I'm honestly, I, I'm very, I'm surprised that we've we've made it here. Um, but uh, no, it certainly should be interesting. We'll we'll be coming at you guys with a lot of different things. Uh, we got our first depth chart of the year yesterday, so we'll be hitting on that and some of the surprises. We'll uh, be looking at season predictions, week one predictions, and then we'll be bringing you guys our um, game of the week. Uh, so that should be fun. Don't want to spoil it just yet, but we'll certainly get there. But before we dive into it, we're going to hit you with another fun fact from all three of us. Um, and that is our least favorite places that we have ever traveled. Max? Um, I, I, don't, I know this isn't going to be an unpopular opinion, but when I went to Colorado, it took me a little bit to adjust to the altitude. So, and it was during the summer, so, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of snow. So I wasn't a big altitude guy when I was there. So I'm going to say it was Keystone, Colorado, even though that's like one of the most beautiful places in the country. So are you saying that if you would have gone in the winter and there would have been snow, it would have been fine? It would have been a different experience. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a lot of hiking and a lot of altitude. And I I'm, I like hiking, but I'm not, I don't like altitude. Fair enough. The one time, the one time I went, we... We drove the Rocky Mountains and we went up the. I don't think it runs anymore, but the rail in Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I didn't have to hike as much. So yeah. Where Where do you not like? Where did you not like traveling? Um, I feel like this is kind of a weird one. Uh, Niagara Falls, actually. Um, the falls themselves were really beautiful, and I was actually I was like sick when we went. I had the flu, but the thing that really just kind of, I would say maybe put a damper on the whole experience was just how much of a tourist trap Niagara Falls itself is. And I was like probably eight at the time. And so like, I loved it in the moment, but I think back on it and I'm just like, man, that ruins the whole experience of seeing this beautiful piece of nature that is Niagara Falls. So that's, that's my least favorite place I've ever traveled to. This is not, this is a big coincidence, but mine is actually probably Birmingham, Alabama, which is not bad, but I've been there twice once for like a cross country meet and once for we went and stayed there the last time sophomore and i covered um alabama versus missouri okay and it's just really hilly and like driving at least downtown like there's a bunch of houses close together without a lot of parking so it was like one of the worst driving experiences of my life because i had to like parallel park in between like three cars and it was just not yeah i think not good and it's just too hilly and there's not it's not very scenic like not a big fan Kind of getting into actual Missouri football things. Um, to start things off, yesterday, um, Elia Drinkwitz spoke to the media for the first time uh, all week, and he let us know that there would be a depth chart released uh, with a lot of oars, is how he put it, and that uh, that certainly seemed to be the case. Um, I think there were 13 total oars on the depth chart, and 12 of them were on offense. Uh, what... What what were your guys' initial impressions? What what stood out um, on that depth chart that I guess we're seeing going into week one against Alabama? I, you know, it, as Andy and I both look at each other, we, I think we both weren't that, you know, surprised by anything because with the amount of oars, I think we sort of understood that 
we don't really know a whole lot. The biggest thing to me was probably on the offensive line, you had Zeke Powell as a starter, which Drinkwitz had said they've had five left guards starting in five days. So I think that was, you know, sort of an interesting thing. He, Drinkwitz said today on the SEC conference call that he was more, um, the re, what stood out to him was he's just been available. I think he's probably one of the guys that they, that's been consistently, you know, there at practice, whether it's health issues, injuries, you know, COVID. Um, and then the other thing, I guess I was intrigued by the two true freshmen that um, are starting in, you know, outside of the punt returner, Ennis Rakestraw and uh, Harrison Mevis. Is that Mevis? I That's a good question. Gonna, I think yeah. we'll learn. We'll, we'll learn. learn soon we enough. haven't talked to him yet. So, um, but yeah, those two um, being starters on the depth chart were interesting because they were over seniors and graduate transfers mm-hmm. yeah and uh zeke powell is uh he's a i think a fairly recent transfer within the last couple months um he's he's starting at that left tackle position he's from coffeeville community college and he, he has an or between him and bobby lawrence who i believe is a sophomore if i'm correct um but andy what 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 maybe surprised you or, or shocked you the most if if anything on that depth chart yeah, I mean, the only you guys kind of covered it. I mean, on defense, it was pretty cut and dry. The yeah. only like big surprise would be Ennis Rakestra starting, which he was kind of their biggest recruit in the latest recruiting class. Um, and he like he had been given a lot of praise during camp and kind of looked like he kind of like earned that spot really quickly um, as a true freshman. But I think looking at the tight end position, it looks like there are three guys. There's Daniel Parker Jr., Nico Hay, and then Logan Christofferson. And I mean, Daniel Parker Jr. played a lot last year. Um, with Okuebanam kind of behind him, especially when Okuebanam was hurt. And I kind of thought he might have been, I mean, it's still early, so maybe it's just learn the new offense or things like that. But I kind of thought he would kind of cement his place, but well, I mean, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise to me, um, and this is a really ticky-tacky thing that surprised me the most, but was the fact that like, Technically, Connor Basilak is listed ahead of Sean Robinson at the quarterback position. Obviously, there's an or between them. Um, Eli Drinkwitz has been very uh, clear-cut about he is not going to name a starting quarterback ahead of week one. Um, if I had to predict anything, I, I, I would imagine he's felt like he's had his guy for a long while. And Sean Robinson, clearly he does not want to give away whether that's true or not. But I, I was really surprised to see that Basilak was listed ahead of him. Um, but, you know, it could be just another competitive advantage. Or um, alphabetical order. Or alphabetical order, but also like numerical order, it's it's not accurate because Basilak's number eight and Robinson's number three. That was kind of, I really, that was my first thought. But then Zeke I, Powell is ahead of Bobby Lawrence. Okay. So it wouldn't be alphabetical order right. either. So maybe it's just absolutely random. It just, yeah, no. So I was, I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, the other thing too that kind of, I think I realized, but really sunk in was how the left side of that offensive line shook out. Because I think we knew it was maybe a, a bit of a bleak situation. In that, uh, you know, Thalen Robinson, we were informed, opted out yesterday. Uh, Hyron White had season-ending shoulder surgery. So there's two guys who I know Robinson had been mentioned as a name who could potentially step up this year. Hyron White started on the offensive line last year, and now, bam, you're down two guys. I think Mayetti, Cook, and Borum are going to shore up the right side of that line just fine. But I think a really big factor moving forward for the success of that offense is going to be how well, um, you know, Powell and Lawrence do at left tackle and then Xavier Delgado um, at left guard. I think that'll determine a lot of things moving forward in terms of offensive success. And Brendan Scales as well, I think, was a, another player that... Right. That- I think that was a that was a medical retirement. Um, but yeah, he's been sort of plagued with injuries his entire career. So certainly um, sucks to see. Uh, that's for sure. 
pretty much all that stood out to me. I was kind of surprised we got a depth chart. I was too, honestly. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I was I was just surprised, you know, we, he came out with the depth chart because it's just been a while. But I guess it's pretty standard. I think Alabama came out with theirs. Um, I don't think it had as many ores, but it did have mm-hmm. some ores. But, you know, they're, it looks, you know, it's going to be tough. The Devonta Smith and, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Alabama, looking ahead, um, obviously they're kicking the season off with uh, Nick Saban and company traveling up here to Columbia this Saturday. Uh, that game will be on ESPN. I am already forgetting kickoff. I know it, it's an afternoon kick, right? 6, 6 p.m. 6 p.m. So it's not an afternoon kick. 6 p.m. It Central. is afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Afternoon, yeah, yeah, evening. I, I think that's... No, no, like af- it's physically It's after- physically afternoon, <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm right in that vein then. Uh, but that game will be on ESPN. Um, all three of us, I believe, will be in the press box for that one. Um, looking at it, you know, what What are your guys's, what are your guys's predictions? Um, as far as I, who I think is going to win the game, I think Alabama is going to win the game. Um, I don't know if that's the biggest prediction of the, in the world, but I think, yeah, I think Alabama is going to win the game and I think they probably win by a lot, but, um, just Alabama has been pretty dominant in season openers, um, all time. And I know Drinkwood said, it's like, he doesn't look at that and as he should, you know, he shouldn't look at that. Um, this is a new year, new team, but I think when you've got a shortened practice season, a shortened, you know, roster with guys out with coronavirus and injuries, you want, I think you would, I give the advantage to the guys that have four and five star recruits over the guys that, you know, you know, they're installing a new offense. I just, it's, it's a difficult test. And I think Mizzou will, you know, show some things where you'll be like, okay. And you know, the new graduate transfers, I think they'll probably impress. They'll show some things off the Alabama corners, but I just don't think Missouri's offensive line is going to be able to handle Alabama's defense. Um, yeah, I just with the lack of experience back there, I think that would probably be the difference. And it's going to be, I don't know if you want, do you want to add what I might score? I don't know what I, I think I, the score I, is going to be, but yeah, I don't know. 42, <laughs> 42 to 13 is my prediction. 29. Will, will there be a safety? Well, no. No? Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. no. I don't know. There will not be a safety. Andy, what, what are your, what are your predictions? What's going to shock us this weekend? I know you wrote the preview that we'll, that we'll be publishing this Friday, but... Yeah, I don't think anything. I mean, they'll need to hope for a miracle. I mean, only one coach has beaten for Missouri has ever beaten a top-five program in their season opener, and that was Warren Powers against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame turned the ball over three times and turned over on fourth down three times. So if they can get that kind of stuff, they might have a chance, but... Why did they didn't punt? They won, they won, that was, they won, actually, they didn't, and so the reason Missouri won because it was because they had a fourth and one, and they decided to kick the field goal instead. Yeah. And then when I asked about it, the coach was like, I was not messing around. I was going for fourth down. We need to get points. But so, I mean, yeah. Um, I think if Missouri makes a competitive game that, I mean, I know Drinkwitz probably won't be interested in moral victories, but I mean, it, I think that would be good for them. Just so they can keep it within a couple touchdowns and be competitive for most of the most of the game. Just because it, it'll be really tough. I mean, if you have a guy like Dylan Moses going up against two new offensive linemen, I mean, I... There's not like it's just a tough spot to throw him into, you know. You you look at a guy like Drinkwitz, and I think you just want to build a foundation from this game on. I don't think it's about winning. I mean, like it is about winning. It's you want to win the game, um, but I think this is about you're on national television. It's your first game. You want to you just kind of want to build a foundation for what's to come and just show you know all these guys barring they'll be back next year. I mean, some might go to the NFL draft like Bolton and whatnot, but most of them they're not going to lose a year of eligibility. And I think it's about setting you know sort of a 
foundation. I know I've said that a lot, but for what's to come in the next couple of years. Do you guys really feel like um, they'll be able to come out of this game with a feeling of, okay, this this is who we are as a team this year? I mean, do you, do you just feel like this is one where you just kind of have to try your best, walk away, and figure out the real kinks that were really, really visible, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think that's actually a big advantage this game because, I mean, no team's going to show your weaknesses like Alabama will, I feel like, especially the SEC. And so I think the one focus for them should be, I don't want to be too pessimistic, but you just want to make sure that you don't lose next week's game this week. Because for them, I mean, they're only they're expected to have 69 scholarship players. And if they have a couple guys get hurt, I mean, that could really, you know, that could really yeah. just send them down the drain the rest of the season. My one, my one thing that I am, I am curious about with this game. Um, I, Drinkwitz mentioned yesterday that he's considered a lot, apparently, um, the possibility of playing two quarterbacks, um, and he was asked if we can expect that, and I think he looked back into the camera and said, "I can't manage your expectations," and left it at that. Fair enough. Um, but I'm really curious to see if, if we get, um, you know, a sort of one, two punch of Robinson and Basilak or Basilak and Robinson at less. So I'm less, I'm more so interested in that than I am to see who really comes out onto the field first, if that makes sense. Um, I think if the game gets out of hand, you're definitely going to see two yeah. quarterbacks, just, just going to be the nature of the game. I, bet, I mean, you might see two Alabama quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, I think we're pretty much all in consensus that, um, Alabama is going to come out on top this week. I don't even know that it's worth giving a score prediction. I mean, Max, what was your score prediction? I said forty-two thirteen, but that was forty-two thirteen. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a kickoff return for a touchdown, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think Missouri is going to get a end of the second quarter touchdown. It's going to bring a lot of momentum in a half, and then they'll that, get it. Yeah, that'll be. And that, then the new kicker, Harrison. Mevis, 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 I think, is going to kick two field goals, and that's going to be, yeah. Harrison, I know you're not listening to this, but if you're listening to this, we're sorry we don't know how to pronounce your last name yet. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, if I had to give a score prediction, I'll just say 49-10, to 10, and I don't have a good reason for it. But, Andy, what's your score prediction? Um, I'd guess 47-14. to 14. There you have it. High scoring. Which, Take the over, Andy no, says. I think, see, I think that, <laughs> no, but I think you've got a team with as much – experiences Alabama on offense like they returned four of their five offensive linemen like that's really I mean that's really hard to go against especially if you don't have time to as much time to prep um and I just think like yeah I think Missouri just doesn't have a lot of depth and who knows maybe Alabama doesn't have a lot of depth because of their testing situation too but I I just think like games like that they could just wear Missouri down and get ugly fast also all three of us are betting Alabama to cover in terms of I mean yeah I guess I mean and and all of us except for me I think are taking the the over I don't I don't oh I'm not not, if you're a betting man I'm I'm not a betting man (laughs) I I was just looking at it I don't want to I don't want to fall down that slope um but looking ahead uh, to the season as a whole, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna give our week by week predictions here. But I will lay it out real quick. Obviously, you've got Alabama week one. Uh, then Missouri travels on the road to Tennessee in week two. Then they travel to Death Valley uh, to take on LSU. No big deal there, right? Um, week four, they come back home, have Vanderbilt. Week five, back on the road uh, playing Florida. Week six, I believe, at home against Kentucky. Um, week seven, at home against Georgia, uh, week eight on the road to South Carolina. Week nine um, is actually Arkansas here in Columbia. That was originally going to be, I believe, the end of the season um, at Arrowhead Stadium. And then to wrap things up Saturday, December 5th, 
Missouri travels to uh, what I'm assuming many would call the most majestic city in the SEC. That's a joke. Um, Starkville uh, to take on Mike Leach in Mississippi State. Uh, but just kind of looking ahead to the season, I mean, you know, I don't know if we have any predictions beyond records, but how do we think Missouri's going to fare with this, you know, 10 game conference only schedule? I would say I think two and eight is a pretty safe bet just because I, I look at it. Yes, they lost to Vanderbilt last year, but I mean, they're a pretty clear bottom feeder in the conference. So that should be for. If you're Missouri, at least you would hope you can get that game. And I think they, I mean, Arkansas, you could look at similar, but they're in a similar spot in Missouri. So that's probably the game I'm most interested to see as someone covering Missouri because that will be a good litmus test to see where those two programs are at. But I just think their chances of losing to Arkansas is the same as them winning into the other games on their schedule. So I think the, yeah, I think the first five games on the schedule are not a really good um I guess, representation of how to, like, look at this football team. Like, you're going to face Alabama. You're going to face LSU. You're going to go to Tennessee with three teams that are supposed to be really good. I mean, Tennessee, not as much as Alabama and LSU. And then Vanderbilt is a team I think most people would say you're supposed to beat them um, if you're Missouri. But the last five games, like Kentucky at home against Georgia, South Carolina, Arkansas, Mississippi State, um, a lot of teams in transition, um, a lot of teams that have historically not been, um, I guess when you say historically, the last few years have not been as good. Obviously, Georgia's good, but... Um, I think those five games are really where you're going to figure out a lot about this Missouri football team and, you know, how far they've come after, you know, playing out. I don't, I just don't think Alabama and LSU are a good gauge as to how good your football team is when you play them. Right. I definitely agree with that. What would you say like your final record prediction would be? Uh, if they play all 10 games, I would say, I would say four and six. I'd say that, uh, I would say four and six or three and seven, but I'm going to stick with four and six. I think they're going to, yeah. And that's honestly, that's a really interesting, I think that's something we definitely have to keep in mind is if, if they play all 10 games, because I don't know what the rescheduling process would be. And uh, I mean, everything of that nature really would just be, that'll be interesting to see if they actually do play all 10. But yesterday, yesterday, Drinkwood said they're dangerously close to every threshold. And if they're dangerously close to every threshold, that is not, I mean, he said, but he said they've always been dangerously close to every threshold, which means that they've been okay, but I just I think if you're dangerously close to a threshold, there's a somewhat of a chance that a game is going to get canceled in the future because of coronavirus. But you know, fair. Um, but assuming I guess that they play all ten, I think really you have, I think you have maybe two games on here that if you are Elia Drinkwitz and company, you've got to look at them and be like, we have to win these games, and that's Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Um, I think I'm really kind of bummed for Sam Pittman and Arkansas this year because I. If they didn't have the schedule that they have, I think combined last year, all their opponents won 90 games. Um, If they didn't have that schedule, I'd be curious to see just how much they might surprise people. I really think that Arkansas might upset Missouri this year. I don't know really about Vanderbilt as much. I don't don't think another upset is likely, obviously, because you have a whole different offense. Um, But, you know, I think there's a bunch of games that, you know, kind of like you mentioned on the back end, Max, there's a lot of programs that historically like aren't phenomenal but i mean you look at like the kentuckys of the world um south carolina had very much had a down year last year and so i'm curious to see where they are by week eight um but i think like you look at kentucky could be a surprise win south carolina you know i think it's certainly feasible that they could win that we don't really know where mississippi state is obviously mike leach is a great coach but you know i mean if they're not faring well by week 10 and you know missouri's won its last two games you know, what's to say that they couldn't go into, you know, Starkville and, and win? Um, 
I guess I'd say my final record prediction, assuming things shake out and there's, you know, a surprise loss here and a surprise win there, kind of like every college football season, I, I think they're probably three and seven. Um, sort of if I'm shooting the gap, I think best case, absolutely best case, they end up four and six or five and five. And five and five is, that's optimistic. Um, I think three and seven is probably the likeliest possibility for this team. Five and five would constitute, I think, a ranked win between, I mean, obviously the team might not be ranked anymore, but of all the, I think they play six ranked teams mm-hmm. on their schedule. So that would be yeah. one big win, like you were saying. I, I will say, I think, um, I do think week two, Tennessee, I think that could be one. Um, who do we know? Who Tennessee uh, kicks off the season against? Uh they. I believe it is South Carolina. Okay, so yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's even more precedent for it because you have a South Carolina team that I think finished four and eight last year. A team Tennessee should beat, and then they come home, and you know you've got Missouri, and I, I think the thing that if people don't know it by now, I will say this: I think. Drinkwitz is very detail oriented, very resourceful and prepared. And, you know, I think you look at a, obviously the number two team in the country, there's, there's not a lot you can do to prepare any better, but you look at a team that's like Jeremy Pruitt's Tennessee team and their bottom part of the top 25. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a potential trap game for Tennessee. I think Missouri could win that if, if they play all their cards, right. It'll certainly be interesting to see, but three and seven, I think is my realistic prediction. All right. Now, the moment that I know you all have been waiting for, our weekly game that we are unveiling on this second edition of the 2020 Tiger Kickoff, the podcast, um, will be called Mascot Melee. And here's a breakdown of how we're going to do this. Essentially, each week, uh, we're going to give our predictions for who would win in a fight between Missouri's mascot, Truman the Tiger, and whoever Missouri's opponent is that week, their mascot. Um, I'm assuming this is a standard rules fight. I'm assuming this is not street rules. I guess we can get into that in a little bit. But first, we are going to introduce you to this week's opponents. When you say standard rules, are you referring to the standard mascot fighting or what? I, I'm trying to get the... Just like a standard... Because I, I, I feel like there isn't really a standard set as far as these type of fights go. So I, I mean, is this like a fight club fight or are we in a boxing ring? Okay. No, no, no. I, I understand. Yeah. Fair enough. I got you. We'll, I, was we'll get to, there. I was trying to wonder if there was a precedent set in the past as to what we can... Fair Decisions. Fair enough. I think we need to assume it's a fight at midfield of the home stadium. Okay, I think okay. that's very... Okay, that's fair enough. Um, but looking at it, so we're going to introduce you guys to Truman this week. Uh, I hope you all know who Truman is if, if you're listening. Um, but if you don't, um, in the first place, Missouri adopted the Tiger mascot um, in 1890. Uh, the school's website said it did so to honor Civil War defenders. But uh, in 1984 is actually when the school first adopted Truman um, after a contest that was held by cheerleaders. Again, according to according to the university website, uh, Truman's named for uh, U.S. President Harry Truman, who was, I believe, born in Independence, Missouri. Um, and uh, the mascot was first officially unveiled um, and made his first appearance in 1986. Prior to that, the university had a male and female tiger mascot uh, who were both unnamed. Um, but one last little fact, um, the university's page for Truman also said his favorite food is Jayhawk stew. <laughs> Anyways, I don't think it's, that funny. it's not that funny. It's not that funny. Um, but looking at this week's opponent, uh, Alabama, uh, their mascot, if you don't know him is big Al, um, which is really interesting to look at because I think we all know Alabama as the crimson tide. We don't know them as the elephants, but of course the imagery there is of an elephant 
Um, I went back and looked. The first mention of an elephant with Alabama came 90 years ago uh, in 1930 after a win on, I think it was October 8th over Ole Miss. A story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution said Alabama fans were saying, hold your horses, the elephants are coming, in reference to Alabama. Um, in the next decade, uh, the team, the team's uh, offensive and defensive lines became referred to as the Red Elephants by sports writers. And with that, the university actually adopted a live elephant mascot during the 40s named Alamite. I believe that's a combination of Alabama and Mighty. Um, and Alamite's tradition, other than being a live mascot, was that he would carry the program's homecoming queen uh, onto the field um, during uh, halftime festivities of homecoming. Uh, the school dropped Alamite a decade later, and in 1960, um, a student named Melford Espy uh, was the first person to dress up as an elephant, um, and there, Big Al was born. So, looking at it, both of these gentlemen at the 50-yard line, you've got Truman the Tiger, Big Al, let's just say no holds bar. This is, this is, this is a fight. This is a fight to the end. I mean, if, you're taking, if you want the, al- the real elephant... You'd, I would. I mean, I would take the real elephant, but no, now yeah. that the real elephant's gone, I mean, it, it doesn't even. You didn't even mention a favorite food. Does the uh, elephant eat? I see. That's a good question. If the elephant doesn't know. eat, it's Truman the tiger by a landslide. See, that's that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, you gotta. I take the tiger, and that's my. I'm taking the tiger. I mean, sometimes they. I was reading that Big Al is joined sometimes by Big Alice, and if it's oh, really? a, if it's a two on one, I don't know that I would go with the tiger. But if it's one on one midfield, no Big Alice, give me Truman. Fair enough. And that's, you bring up an interesting point is looking at the actual animals themselves, taking an elephant in the heartbeat. But I, what I look at is Big Al, the costume itself is really boxy and it's huge. It does not look easy to move around in. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen Truman's costume. I will tell you what, the one thing that blows my mind every time about Truman's costume is that man's thighs are ridiculous, but it looks tight to the skin. It looks easy to move around in. I just feel like whoever is in that Truman costume is going to be so much more agile than Big Al. So uh, I too am taking the tiger. I am I am taking Truman in this fight. Does Tr- this is this is off topic, but does Truman wear pants? Yes, sir. Truman I, does I, not wear pants. Does not. Okay. But I don't think Big Al wears pants either. I could okay. be wrong on that. that that's a good point. Well, I was thinking maybe extra mobility. You never know. I think. Are you majoring in Big Al? Is that how you know if you wear I, pants? I mean, I... Sorry, Andy. <laughs> 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 no, it's all good. It's an important question. I know. Um... I think the biggest thing to consider is the the trunk of the elephant, whether mascot or not. I mean, that's just a longer reach. That's a good point. Like he could be wet. Like you could just be if you're a big guy, you could just be whacking Truman, getting him off off his game with the with the trunk, and then he just come in with an uppercut or a combo, and it's over. You know. Fair enough. So I think that's kind of the way you gotta approach. Also, also, I mean, Big Al, he's kind of on the thicker side, so he can kind of just run you over. You know. That's true. I mean, Truman. To me, it looks a little bit like a human with a tiger head, and so I just don't know how much stability or like protection there is. And if for, that makes sense. Yeah, and for legal purposes, the Tiger Kickoff Podcast is not saying that they should break social distance protocols and have a fight at midfield. We're just saying if, just for clarification, if all, there was yes, a fight, yes. there would be. A, this is all hypothetical. There would be a mask worn in the stadium if this were to happen too. Yeah. But no, just for legal purposes, we are not we are not condoning a fight at midfield between the two masks. Andy, my one last question to you on this. You mentioned that you mentioned that trunk, you mentioned that reach. What about Truman's tail? Because everyone I feel like I feel like he is synonymous yeah. with that tail whip thing that he that, does. That's true. Does, I, does that work in the same way here? I would just say I think the trunk one, the trunk is I know for an elephant the trunk is longer, and so I'm assuming the trunk for Big Al is longer. Also, 
the tail is coming from behind Truman. So when it reaches around his body, it loses some length. Right. So if they're getting that kind of a war, Big Al would be able to kind of stand farther back and avoid the tail. Or Truman's just blind because he turns around entirely. That's true. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's the major key. And I think that's kind of how like the battle might start off. And then Big Al starts with the upper hand, you know tougher to him to combat you're that. gonna be right if big alice shows up that's all i'm letting you know big alice hey, shows up two on one you never right? know that, that that's kind of the wild card here yeah that's a good point well if you can't tell by now none of us watch mixed martial arts um but i think that does it for the second edition of tiger kickoff the podcast for the 2020 football season um again uh i am adam cole joined by max baker and andy kimball you can follow all of us on twitter at cole reporter at max baker underscore 15 if i am correct and then at by andy kimball and if you want to keep up with our content you can follow at como sports on twitter or you can go to www.columbiamissourian.com slash sports Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you again next week.